This is Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 10. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. It's good to be back. I'm Guy Mullen, and I'm with Mr. Chris Field. I'm Chris Sandgrad. Glad to be with you. And today, we're going to kind of spin the program a little bit around. We've interviewed some fabulous men who've done some significant things setting up other ministries. But today, I get the chance to interview Guy about, like, what is he doing setting up Real Men 24-7? So great to have you listening. Let's hope you enjoy our program today. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always good to be back. I was on a bit of a high after doing last week's one. Fantastic. So what a great interview as they were. That was a great interview. If, uh, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. We were talking to Paul. Brian. Brian, <laughs> Brian Noble. Brian Noble. So uh, go and check out that, uh, that episode. It's about... Well, about there's, yep. well there's, there's two episodes. Two episodes. Two episodes, two episodes on there, but about how to resolve uh, crisis. How yeah. to resolve conflicts that you have with one another. So, great episode. Mm-hmm. But um, today we, we're going to... No, 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 hang on. I've got to do this. Oh, I've right. Do this. No, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, my special guest in the studio <laughs> <laughs> is Guy Mullen, the founder of Real Men 24-7. Guy, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. <laughs> Let's just go back a, a couple of tracks and have a look at what you are doing with this. Because obviously... You've taken some time to actually imagine in your own mind what this ministry was and why you were doing it. And you've mm. come from a professional background, making big money, doing other things. This is quite a change. What was actually happening in your head that got you to get this ministry up and running? Well, I think it's, it's, really, about, it's really about finding and fulfilling your purpose and really making the biggest difference, not just in my lifetime, but and something which goes on longer than me. You know, we all want to change the world, if you like. We want, our, we want our lives to be meaningful. And I just didn't see my life being meaningful enough, just continuing in electricity and trading, trading futures derivatives and uh, you know, lining people's pockets. And that just didn't provide me with enough meaning. And there wasn't enough time outside of that to do anything really meaningful. And so... You know, circumstances came that trading business imploded, if you like. Uh, we were doing really well, making a lot of money, but we had a lot of disagreements about how it was to run and how we wanted to expand it. Hey, well, we should pat you on the head a little bit here. You're actually a pretty smart cookie. Tell everybody exactly what it was that you were doing. Okay, well, I don't know where to start here, but I, I used to work for one of the big utilities. And, uh, and you know, so that's owning generators and and retail and having industrial and commercial customers and and uh, I was part of the team that was trying to optimize all that, trying to make as much money as possible out of all the different assets that we had. I think I can explain it better than that. Okay. <laughs> you were one of just a handful of guys in Australia, for the whole of the nation of Australia, who really understood the shuffling of electricity from one person to another, the suppliers and the retailers, and the whole backroom process of what they call hedging, I guess, isn't it? Where you sort of have to try and buy and sell. Mm-hmm. And then if you buy too much or too little, it could cost a fortune. If you buy at the right time, boy, you can make a big profit, you know, all that sort of stuff. You were actually good at that game. Well, yeah, we were good at what we did. And I must make the point that it wasn't just me. You know, I was part of a team and, you know, quite a sizable team and support structure and so on that all makes it work. But there was a, a core group of us, if you like, who were 
who, who became really good at looking forward into the future, uh, using the models, analyzing inputs, analyzing behavior, taking all the different inputs we could find and working out where the market had just got things horribly wrong in terms of pricing the future. And if the market had overpriced the amount of risk that was in the market, then we would sell contracts into that. And, and Converse was true as well. If the market was underpricing the amount of price volatility that we were going to see, the, the level of prices that we thought were going to happen in the marketplace, then we would buy contracts. And so we, we, made, we made a lot of money doing this. And of course, one of the big factors is, is weather. You're saying um, heat waves, like or something like that, there could be a real rush on, on um, air conditioning or the freezing cold, they've all got the heaters on. Those sort of peak things happen erratically as well, don't they? They do, and and a big input is is the weather here in Australia, where you know it gets over over well over forty degrees, well over one hundred and five degrees Fahrenheit. If you're listening from you know one of the countries that are still on the funny old scale, but um, anyway, so we worked out that we could make a lot of money by identifying where the market was pricing electricity incorrectly, and we did make a lot of money for the for the large utilities that we work for. But we knew that there came, we had to come a time when that would come to an end, and we um, because they wanted to go in a different direction. So I got together three others, a, a pair of mine plus two guys who reported to us. We went to our boss and said, we're leaving. And uh, that wasn't a very popular thing to tell him, that four of his guys were working out, were walking out. And we teamed up with some investors from the US, some guys who were ex-Microsoft, ex-AT&T, guys who made a lot of money during the heydays of those companies and had started their own funds. And we took their money and we invested it trading futures, electricity futures. And, uh, and the long and short of it is that we made $50 million in revenue over four years wow. with a capital base of uh, just over $20 million. So, and we, by the time we took out all the expenses and everything, we were making a return, which was during the GFC where most investments were going badly. We made a return north of thirty percent wow. per annum, but um, you know we we had a lot of disagreements about how it was all going to run and how it was going to grow, and there was a lot of a lot of a lot of conflict. And eventually, that all came to a head, and we had to go our separate ways. So we wound the company up, distributed the um, the profits, and um, and went our separate ways. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a friendly it wasn't a friendly separation it was pretty acrimonious and in fact I walked I was a director and I walked into a board meeting and uh, and got ambushed by the other guys who were you know who were who were the investors but also the other board members I was the only representative from the management team and uh, and and it took me a long time to get over that because I was ambushed they were bringing in a CEO to, to go over the top of me if you like um, to then wind down the company and um, and it was pretty it was pretty difficult to take for quite a long time. And at some stage I want to talk about this issue of forgiveness because it it's for six months, for six months I was I was a bit of a mess actually. I was a bit of a mess. I was driving away from petrol stations without paying because I was just I was just not in a good frame of mind. I did that I did that uh, on one occasion and uh, I couldn't go back to work. I went and got to went to the doctor and and managed to avoid being able to go back to back to work again because I couldn't face it. And and I wake up in the middle of the night with uh, you know having dreams of of wanting to harm some of these guys, and it wasn't where I wanted to be, and it wasn't it wasn't a good place to uh, to be at, at all. And it was it was after about six months that 
you know, I'd made a decision that I wanted to forgive these guys, but making a decision to do something isn't actually the same as actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it wasn't actually until, you know, the Lord spoke to me and he said, hey, what have I forgiven you for? And that really, that really struck me because, you know, it's something which I knew, but it just, it just stuck, it just hit me with a, at a new level because I realized, well, actually, uh, you know, Jesus has forgiven me for more than what I have to forgive these guys mm-hmm. for. And that really started the process of really forgiving, forgiving these guys, which is stabbing in the back. One guy in particular, actually, because, um, because he was a mentor and a friend. He was the guy who came in to become the CEO of the business, and he was just came in as pretty much as a mercenary. He took half a million dollars for his trouble for um, you know, coming in for a few weeks' work, and uh, and he was the guy who actually was instrumental in bringing me to Australia in the first place, um, and and who I'd learnt a lot of my skills with trading and how to make money of the electricity market. I'd learnt, learnt it from him, and and his mentorship when I was was in the corporate world. And so he had, he had for years wanted to desperately get into trading and here he saw his opportunity. But these other guys, these investors used him and um, he allowed them to use him. And, and so that was, that, was a, that was a real hard decision to forgive. So that... I'm just going to make this observation. You actually use the expression, the process of forgiveness. The process of forgiveness. And so we talked about this with Phil Sherwood, didn't we? Yeah. And I think sometimes we have the idea that forgiveness is, oh, I forgive you. And it's kind of like a one-off tick of the box. Yeah, but but you know from real life experience that it actually is a process. It's a you've got to work through it. Yeah, it, it very much is a process because it because it does come back, and that was one of the things that resonated with Phil Sherwood when we mm-hmm. did that interview about about when you about his wife having an affair, is that there are triggers which come back, and you feel this burst of rage come back through you again, and uh, and you've got to choose over. You've got to choose a new. You've got to choose a new. No, I'm going to forgive this person and. And because uh, I'm not going to let it continue to to upset me. Yeah, my wife has a similar experience early in our married life when a particular lady that was in our church did did and said some things that were really hurtful for her. And uh, every day when she'd go out to hang the washing on the line or do different things around the home, she would think of this woman, see her face, and it took her months to work through the actual processing of of, of that forgiveness. So, mm. Yeah, interesting. I do think we should make sure our listeners hear that expression, the process mm. of forgiveness. Yeah. Mm. And so we got a bit off topic, actually. But no, the, and so from there, I needed to think, okay, well, how am I going to support my family? But supporting my family wasn't enough on its own. I, I knew I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. I didn't want to be working in the city. I wanted to be largely based from home, and I wanted more control of my own schedule. And it would be nice to be able to do something that I could get my kids involved in if they were so inclined, or at least use it to help train them to for them to follow their own dreams but how was I to do that with the skills and experience that I had and I tried running some businesses from home in the electricity space I tried developing some apps and and I was uh, looking at ways of helping people reduce their electricity bills but uh, over time I just gradually lost my passion for the whole energy space and started to pine I guess for for something more for doing more than what I was, I guess I'd started to get a vision for being able to support my family while also fulfilling a passion for uh, solving some of the world's great problems. And one of those world's great problems is the uh, 
the tragedy of what is happening to men, to men as husbands, to men as fathers, and to men in their own right. And I started to see this. I started to experience it to some degree myself. And I was involved in, in a number of uh, men's ministries at that point in time and dad's ministries. And, uh, and I started to think, okay, well, how can I, how can I devote myself to, to helping in this area and be able to do it full time while still being able to support you know, a family of 11. And that was the challenge that I decided, right, I'm going to take that on. And, uh, and, and if I go broke doing it, well, uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to be left wondering. You've, you've, got to, you've, you've got to follow your dreams. And that's what I decided I was going to do. I started to see the fact that, well, who is, who is, who is taking on uh, these issues of helping men to, to overcome the problems that they're facing in life. It's all very well to say, it's all very well to say, well, let's just give ourselves over to, to Jesus. Let's fall on our knees and ask for repentance. Well, but what then? As you talked about in your book, well, then Job had to get up. And God said to him, well, get up and, and stand like a man. Stand like a man. And then and God gave him you know, 10,000 camels, can't remember what it was, you know, all these servants yeah, yeah. and sheep and everything else. He obviously then had to go on and manage all that. Mm-hmm. He had to then go and another 10 children to run his family. So he couldn't just stay on his face the whole time. He had some responsibilities he had to get up and do. And how was he, how was he going to do those? Where was he going to get that training from? You know, when we become a, a father, we don't become a father with a manual, do we? No, of how to do it. Stumble into it. And when we get married, we don't we don't come into marriage with a with a manual about how do we do it, how we do it. We have some ideas about what marriage is going to be like and how it's going to make us happy and and how it's going to you know fulfil all the things that we haven't had at that point. But the reality is all, always very different to what we expect. Where's the manual? Where's the training for it? And so what I wanted to do with Real Men 24-7 was to, uh, was, was one of the things was to put together resources from a whole lot of different places which helped to provide this training of how we face these different problems that we face in life. How do we face the problem of, oh, we've lost, I've lost my job, what do I do now? How do I, how do I find myself, if you like? What is my identity? How do I cope with this loss that I've had of being important, doing this thing, and being recognized for it, and now that's all gone. How do I do, deal with that? How do I deal with my wife that I don't understand, who is, um, you know, who is, who is threatening to leave and, and take the kids? What am I doing wrong? What, why is this not working out? Uh, what, about my, what about my kids? My teenagers don't want to know me. I had all these dreams for my teenagers, and now they don't want to know me. Why is that? What can I do about it? So there's all these issues that we face as men. Where do we find the answers for those? Where do we find the answers and for so this? Real Men 24-7 is, in, as you envisage it, a place where you'd collate, collate and collect as much of that material as you could, make it readily available to guys. And then the second thing is support. The second thing is support because uh, as men, we're in, a, we're in groups. We're, maybe we're in churches. Maybe we're in, uh, you know, we go and watching our kids playing footy on a Saturday, but really we're alone. And we create some of that loneliness ourselves. Our culture encourages us to have that loneliness. But it's damaging because we're not meant to, to be like that. We're not meant to, to feel alone. But yet often we feel like we can't go and talk to our wives 
because they've already, maybe they're part of the problem as we see it, mm-hmm. but also we feel like, well, we can't put it on their shoulders. We can't put it on their shoulders. They've already got this other stuff on their shoulders that they've got to deal with with the kids and, and whatever else. Uh, where, do we, where do we go with, with our problems? Where do we go with our, with our loneliness? You know, and I guess this is this is this is a, a this is a question that um, that many men have. Where do I go so that I'm who who have got the same problems as me? How do you see real men twenty four seven filling that void for people? Well, Chris, you know it's a great question, and there's a couple of things I'd like to say about that. The first is in uh, in Hosea. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says that my people perish where I destroyed for the lack of knowledge. And so uh, we talked earlier about how, you know, we, we don't come into manhood with a manual. We don't become fathers. We don't have a manual about how to be a dad or how to be successful at in our marriages. Uh, you know, we get a lot of training with how to succeed at our work, but very little with how to succeed in some of the other areas of life. And so we're real men twenty four seven. We're looking to fill that void, and we're providing an enormous amount of, of of content on a range of subjects across, or really across the four main areas of a man's life: his work, his family, important relationships. Really, so it might not just be your blood family, but really the important relationships that are important to you, and uh, and then faith, and then your own well being, and uh, and so we're providing a range of information, knowledge, uh, resources across uh, those topics in a number of different ways. So we've got our podcast that we're doing now, and we've got our, our blog posts, and we've got um, resources that we can, that you can you can download from our website, and we occasionally have uh, free online trainings and, and so on as well. So down the track, we will have, we ha- we're developing specialized courses as well that to go deeper into some of these these core needs that we have. So Magnificent Marriage course that we're working on right now is really going to take men who are motivated but frustrated and overwhelmed with how they how, how they succeed in their marriage to really help them and guide them and coach them through to really lifting their marriages up to, a, to another level. So we're providing this content in a, in a, in a range of, of different ways. And I guess this is the second aspect is that we really need to have community. And we've talked about how uh, we, I'm not sure on this podcast, but on other podcasts, we've talked about how we can't just go on alone. Uh, you know, when something happens in our life, something which we think, well, we should be able to cope with this, but we just get trapped within our own head, within our own thoughts. And, uh, and we need to be have a, a community where we can connect with other people who know what we're going through and uh, and not feel so alone because it's one of the one of the real big drivers of of men's mental health issues is that they've got issues but they don't feel like they can talk to anybody and they feel alone and trapped within their own problems and with their own thoughts so so we're providing that community as well and uh, and the third thing I like to mention is that we're very much grounded on the scriptures and the word of God. And so, you know, the, the answers to life are all in there, but we need help unpacking it. You know, when it says in the scriptures for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, well, what does that mean? What does that mean when you get up in the morning? What does that mean when you 
uh, when you're going through your day, what does that mean last thing at night? And so at Real Men 24-7, we are looking to unpack the wisdom, uh, the spiritual truth that is in the scriptures and be able to uh, help men to apply that to the daily lives so that they can uh, be more successful in work, in their marriages and with their kids, uh, more connected with God in their faith and and better in their own well-being as well. And when we're more successful across those those four areas, then we're in a much better place to be able to fulfill the purposes that um, that God has for us to really reach out and grab those dreams that we have inside of us. So that's what Real Men 24-7 is doing. You've experimented for a couple of years with a, a monthly Saturday morning group just for men, and I had the privilege of being a part of that. Uh, it's in recess at the moment. But I know amongst the other guys that are there, several of them really found that was the very first place where they could actually probably really bring themselves out in a way that they couldn't anymore. And that's else. not un- that's not uncommon. That's not uncommon. And uh, and so you know, even for those of you who are listening who are part of a church, you know, very rarely, very rarely do you have do you feel the the comfort of being able to share your inner struggles with people in your church because everybody everybody's just too familiar. There's also not enough time. It's just not the structure there for it. And I guess there's also just the thinking, well, everybody else seems like they're okay. Everybody else seems like they've made it. Everybody else seems like they've got everything together. I'll be the odd one out if I'm if I'm not if I'm mm-hmm. not together. Now I want to come back to a point that you mentioned earlier. You talked about identity, and obviously from your own experience with a really high-powered career and CEO of a company that was doing fabulous things to then kind of get trashed the way you did and obviously it impacted you from what you were saying Mm. this issue of identity obviously is pretty serious for you so do you want to unpack for us a little bit about what your thinking is about that whole identity theme yeah well the whole whole identity you know when we stop to think about it our, our identity is is something which is very important and i don't know how much time we're going to have to unpack all of that today but it's not just about a head knowledge of knowing who I am. It's about actually feeling it and believing it and that translating through to what you think about yourself and then what your actions are. And so, you know, what goes on in your head? What goes, what are those secret thoughts that you have about yourself? Do you actually love yourself? Do you actually love who you are? Uh, do you actually, um, you know, love what you're doing and where your life is going? Well, I think you, what, from your experience, though, often we don't think about that until, until something goes wrong. Yeah. Until something goes wrong. And I, I wrote a post a year ago. It was in May, uh, May last year, and you'll be able to find it on the website. It's um, the the name of the post is "What to Do When the, the Spotlight Fades," and it's about men who have something, are doing something high powered, and then it all comes crashing down. And what happens? And this particular post was about next captain of the Australian soccer team who all of a sudden found himself unexpectedly dumped from the team before they went to the World Cup and he just disappeared off the scene. Here he was, you know, a pretty important guy um, and all of a sudden his career was over. What sort of impact does that have on a man? It has a huge impact on a man. It has a massive impact and he just disappeared from the scene until it started to become clear from some of his friends that he was doing pretty badly. You know, and he's not, he's not the only one. 
we're riddled with people in the same situation. And, you know, and we see we see the tip of the iceberg of people coming through the media like this. But this is not just a problem from somebody who's a, a sports star, but we often see it, you know, in Hollywood, of course, yeah. where um, people can't and, handle yeah. it, the, the music. But it's the average, the average guy like me, too, who has a job, who loves his job, has been doing it for a long time. It's what he's been trained to do. It's right in the sweet spot of where his skills are. And all of a sudden, it's, uh, it's over. And what does he do? But I think the problem in that, because picking up this word identity that you use, maybe men find their identity in that when, may, when, when that isn't really where their, their real identity lies. Yeah, but, it, but it's also a case of, for, in my situation, I knew my identity wasn't my job. I didn't, I didn't live for my job. I was well aware of that it could end at any point in time. Because we're in the high-powered world of trading, I'd seen other people, uh, other people fall over. You know, they had bad run, and their business had, had had gone down the tubes, and they were sacked. And and it almost happened to us a couple of times. I knew it could happen, and so I slept very well at night in the comfort of knowing that whether my job uh, was succeeded or failed, that was okay because because I was a child of God and. You know, and whatever came came, and I knew that that he would look after me. But but I knew all that, but it still wasn't enough to be fully insulated from the catastrophic event of it actually all happening. So even knowing the turf, having pre thought about it, is yep. not an insurance. Not an insurance. Not an insurance against it at all. I mean, yeah, in two thousand and eight, after we'd only been going a year, we almost we almost imploded because we had some problems. With one of the staff, and um, there was some alcohol involved, and making some bad decisions, and we got over our head with some positions, and and uh, and I was resigned to the fact that I would have to, uh, you know, I, I would have to uh, to sell my house and head back to New Zealand. I was I was sure that that's what was going to happen, and um, and whatever would happen would happen. And I went into work that day, and there was a it was a guy busking in the train station. And uh, I can't remember who was, if he was playing it as well with my soul or how great thou art. It was one of those two songs, and he was he was playing it on. I can't even remember what the instrument was now, but um, it, I thought that was going to be my last day at work. And I went in there on that Monday, and it just lifted my spirits. Mm. And um, and I gave him a, a rather big tip. <laughs> <laughs> you can believe his eyes, but uh, but but I knew I knew that whatever happened, that it would be okay. But it still is not enough when it actually happens to be able to fully insulate you from the trauma of something. Well, who was the guy that you were talking about that knew something about the turf and still killed himself? Who was that? Yeah, so there was so there's, there's a post on on Real Men twenty four seven about uh, about this incident, and well, I don't know the full story, so it's it's difficult talking about it because I don't know the guy personally, I don't know his family, I don't know, I only know what I've read. And so yeah, Dan Vickerman was a lock for the Australian rugby team, well, which don't, don't know what that rugby. is. So, <laughs> wouldn't know what you're so about. basically, <laughs> basically one of the tall guys is over two metres tall. His job is to, to power the scrum and to, and to collect the ball in the lineouts and other things. And he was so good at what he did. He was good at what he did. He was a former South African, but uh, we won't hold that against him. No, I love South Africans, actually. But um, he played for Australia, and he was actually involved with helping men to deal with the transition coming out of their careers from their sports careers Mm -hmm. and uh and and so he was involved with helping to guard men against mental health issues for when their sports careers ended so here's a guy who knew the turf he's a guy who knew the turf 
but yet he tragically he killed himself. Mm. He still couldn't cope with himself. So it's not enough just to know the lie of the land. Um, this is a quote from Robbie Slater, who was an Australian footballer who 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 knew the was friends with the captain I was talking about. And he says, "There's an unbelievably long list of footballers who suffer in silence when it all ends. Remove the lifestyle, the money, the adulation, the adrenaline, the crowds, the team spirit of the dressing room, and it's a huge void." He goes on, "The key is is how quickly you move on." and accept your new life, but some can't and end up in all sorts of problems, drinking, gambling, marriage breakups. I don't say it lightly, but you invariably end up with a form of depression. And so, you know, we've talked about it before that, the, you know, in the age group of 40, I'm not sure where it quite starts, 35 to about 50 or something like that, that suicide is the biggest killer of men in that mm. age group. Mm. And, you know, and you can see where it comes from that men don't recover from a big change in circumstances in their life, something that they identify with, you know. And if you top up, if you if you combine something like, I, I mean, I just had a, a, a career change. I mean, so for me, it wasn't all-encompassing. But if imagine for men who have got a big career change, plus maybe they lose their wife and maybe lose custody of their kids. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then financial that. problems that go with that yeah. because now they've, they've, they've got to pay alimony and they've lost their house and... You can just imagine that if everything disappears from then, how do they? How are they going to cope? Mm-hmm. Where is their identity now? Who are they? And uh, and so, well, this is not s- a small problem. Where do you see the solution? Well, I'm not. I'm not. Look, I'm not an expert in <laughs> mental health. I'm not trained in it at all. And uh, and so, you know, I, I can't really talk too much about you know, what the solutions are and what people should do. But I think it's fairly obvious that you can't keep you can't keep your problems to yourself. You can't just keep them rattling around inside your head. And uh, and so you need to have you need to have somebody that you can talk to, somebody you can share it with. And it's always good if you've got if you find somebody who knows some element of what you're going through, what you've gone and maybe has been through some of it yourself. And that's why community is, is so important. And, uh, and that's why with Real Men 24-7, we're trying to build that community of men who, who say, well, hey, I'm not, I haven't made it. I've been through a lot of problems. I'm still on the journey. I'm still working through some of these, but I'm working through them and I'm not going to do them alone because I recognize it's important not to do it alone. The second aspect is that we need to look at what, uh, what, what God says about who we are. Uh, because he's the one that made us and he made us for a purpose. He made us for purposes and we need to tap into that. That's something that you need to, you need to explore. You know, you may say, oh, look, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he made me. I believe I'm just, you know, a random collection of cells. But I encourage you to explore, you know, what the Bible says about who you are. And just consider what if it's right? What if it? What if it is right that it's the when it says that that uh, he knew you while you're in your, your mother's womb, that uh, that uh, that he knows you and he planned you for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, wouldn't it be sad to go through your life and to miss all that? Now on the website, you've actually got an identity quick reference guide. Um, that's 
focusing on biblical truth about who a person is, is it? That's what you're trying to get yeah, guys to shift. The, the Bible to says an awful lot about, about who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's all positive stuff, I presume, you're talking about here. Well, it's not all positive, but, it's, well, but, it, but it ends positive. Okay. Well, I guess we start at the beginning. When we look at Adam, the first man, and the Bible talks about in Genesis 2 and 3, that uh, he was made in the image of God. So what does that image look like? Well, it's not just talking, it's not talking about his physical form because God is a spirit and not, and not, and not a human being. It's talking about morally, socially, uh, intellectually, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, in, the image, in the image of God. But then something happens. Something happens in that uh, Adam, uh, Eve gets deceived and Adam disobeys uh, through the influence and of an evil character. It all, evil, all comes crashing down. And so... At the very least, Adam's identity, morally at the very least, is no longer in the image of God because God is perfect and holy and no longer is Adam perfect and holy. His image has been corrupted and damaged. Mm -hmm. And so then we have the whole story of the Old Testament is basically men trying to correct that that image, uh, I guess, and, and getting back to having peace with God through the things that they do, you know, and... Throughout history, we've seen men and women who tried to get back to uh, be right with God through their own efforts. And Martin Luther uh, was probably the best example I can think of. You know, Martin Luther was you know born in I think it was fourteen eighty three. Yeah, fourteen eighty three. He was a pretty bright dude. He went to university when he was thirteen years of age mm-hmm. and was doing a master's and some other degree. He did it as fast as the university would allow him to do. He was he was a pretty incredible guy. Uh, but then at the age of 21, he was going on a horse and buggy or something like that, and lightning struck down just in front of his, in front of his, front of his horse. And he cried out to one of the saints, because he was Catholic, because the world was, world was Catholic at that time. He said, uh, if, if I survive, then I'll become a monk. And so true to his word, he, well, he did survive. He became a monk, gave away all his possessions, and uh, he fasted, he lived the most pious life that he possibly could. He he actually fasted and starved himself so badly it came back to haunt him physically later in life. Mm. But anyway, he tried to do all this and um and he said he plunged Christianity today says he plunged into prayer, fasting and ascetic practices, going without sleep, enduring bone chilling cold without a blanket and 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 flagellating himself, as he later commented, if anyone could have earned heaven by a life of a monk, it was I. And so he tried to do all this to find his identity and get back to having peace with God, but none of it worked. And he, through a study of the scriptures, he finally realized that he couldn't be made right with God through the things that he did, as the, the church at the time then taught. It could only be through faith, only be through faith in, in Jesus Christ, and which was a free gift. And so... So that first identity is that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first identity that we're born with. We can't escape it. Many of us like to think, well, we we don't. We're uh, better than that. that we're better than, we, we're yeah, better than we that. Or we're better than this person. Or we can pull ourselves up. If we get after some great cause, we yeah. come, we go through, we, you know, if we go and save the whales, if we, mm-hmm. you know, if we, we go in on men's rights or women's rights or we do some great cause, then it'll lift us up and we'll feel good about our identity. But it's never enough. It's never enough. We can get on with these causes, but 
they're only temporary and they won't really fill the void which is which is meant to be filled by God alone. He knows he put it there. That's where the void is. And so we're, we're short of what God requires for us to be. So that's the bad news. That's the bad news. And then the good news is that it's just simply a case of accepting the gift that God has given us to restore us. Man, what makes Christianity different from every other religion is that Christianity isn't about man seeking God. It's about God coming down and, and seeking man and, um, and making the way for us to be made right. And so we go from having an identity which is corrupted and damaged and with a future which is terminal because without God there is no life to having an identity which is uh, in God, it's in his family. Um, Let me suggest that, um, because we're probably running out of time for this, what fantastic interview, actually, thanks, Guy, but maybe we should just point out that that identity check, quick reference guide that you've got on the site will actually point a person to just a whole bunch of those things that are actually theirs when they get that... Yeah, why don't you read out a couple there? Okay, well, um, uh, I'm not in bondage. Um, being a child of God. And you've got scripture references to prove these, these, these things. Yeah, John one twelve says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children so there's, of God. our identity yeah. changes from being uh, just humans who will die and then because of our sin be separated from God forever mm-hmm. to being children of God, to being heirs of the kingdom of God. So there's a massive identity change which occurs, which was what Martin Luther discovered and what we also need to discover. Hmm. Uh, so that, we're still on the subject then of identity, but yeah. that just becomes a complete identity flip. And that puts us back on our feet instead of on our head. And that yeah. helps us get through all of these other upheavals. Well, it's essential because unless we've got a good handle on our identity, we can't really understand our purpose. You know, and our purpose, if we're just living in this life, we're just a collection of cells and we go through this life and eat, drink and be merry, if you like, and maybe do some good things and influence some people's lives and maybe even have some things go on after we die. Well, that's still, who's going to remember that in a thousand years? It's still all temporary. But when our identity changes to understanding that we now become part of God's family, then the things that we do have an eternal perspective, knowing that we're now going to live forever. Well, hang on, the things that we do are actually now quite important. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be a time, a very short time in this life that we live is going to be over. You know, we're not going to live very long. We don't live very long. Um, I'm halfway through my life. You're about. Yeah, now you look at my grey hair, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> you're just slightly more than halfway through. Um, and so, you know, we when we when we look at our life in the context of eternity, it's pretty jolly short. Mm. And so, it matters what we do. And so, we can't we can't spend our time. Uh, just sitting back on our heels and then getting to the end of it, think, well, what was my life? Now, we're probably right out of time. So let me just sort of try and bring this to a wrap-up by saying, that's fantastic. Thank you. Actually, it's just great to have you unpack all of that. And I think there's probably a lot more we need to unpack maybe in another future interview. But I wonder if sometime in the future too, we might actually go through your quick reference guide so that it's not just a list of words on the page, but we actually kind of let you elaborate why that really sets you on fire, what, what it is about each one of those different things that really yeah. uh, ignites. I think people are going to be stimulated to hear it, not just as a, a phrase like um, personally chosen, but to actually capture the significance of that. So, mm-hmm. But meanwhile, guys, uh, get yourself to the website and have a look at the Identity Quick Reference Guide. 
and um, yeah, you find it under the free resources page, and we'll also uh, you'll also be able to uh, search for it by looking for identity through the web page. Fantastic. Um, since I've now finished interviewing you, do you want to close off our program, Guy? <laughs> well, this has been a little bit a little bit strange. It's been a little bit off the cuff, wasn't? We weren't intending to talk about this, but uh, thanks for listening. It's uh, it's always good to. Uh, to share some of the, the deeper and, and most innermost parts of what's going on in your life. And that's part of what Real Men 7 is, Real Men 24-7 is all about. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your story is. You know, what are the things that are unique about your life, your story, your walk? And so I'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at podcast at Real Men 24-7 or get on Facebook or go and leave us a comment on the website. That would be awesome. So, it's goodbye from me. And from me too. We look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.